Welcome to the Leadership Upside Podcast with Chuck Carringer, where we discuss what successful leaders are doing, saying, and thinking. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Leadership Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Carringer. Our guest today is Landon Hill. Landon is a faculty member, the coach, if you will, for the National Contract Management Association's Leadership Development Program, known as CMLDP. Landon is a procurement manager at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and previously served as a staff sergeant in the U.S. Army. Landon, welcome to Leadership Upside. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Appreciate it. And thank you for your military service. Well, thank you. Landon, I'd like to focus our conversation on your work with CMLDP. I've had the privilege to provide a few training sessions for CMLDP over the past couple of years. Each of my interactions has left me extremely impressed with the people involved, including participants, NCMA staff, and faculty. I've also wondered if the concepts of CMLDP could be adapted to serve as a foundation of a leadership development program for individual companies. Before we look at the possibility of adapting the CMLDP concepts in other settings, would you start us off with an overview of CMLDP, including the major components, the length of the program, participant selection, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, we'll, we'll start off with the basics, right? You, uh, you're, you're calling the program CMLDP, so we'll make sure that everybody understands the, uh, the acronym there. It stands for Contract Management Leadership Development Program, CMLDP. And it's really, it's all about building leaders for tomorrow. We're taking on the next set of challenges that our profession faces. Now, CMLDP, Chuck, it's been going on since 2006. That was the first class year. The program or each class runs about 10 months, and that's from October to the end of July. And during that 10-month process, the participants receive over 160 continuing education hours. And that's a big part of the program or a big selling part for individuals interested because those continuing education hours, they can be used for applying for certifications or for meeting requirements with their own employer. And so we make sure that's known upfront in the application process. And of course, pre-COVID, when travel shut down, all of the participants were required to attend the three major NCMA conferences every year in person. And we'll, we'll talk more about how we've had to adapt because of COVID later on. Uh, but in the program, the participants or interested participants, they, they have to go through a pretty competitive two-step selection process. Step one is where we review their applications, including letters of recommendation and a resume. And then we down select from there and we move to step two, which is a video interview component. Now, the video interview component we just added a couple of years ago, and it's been fantastic. So up until then, people getting into the program were selected based off of only their application. So really just their writing skills and their resume. And so giving that step two interview component has given us an opportunity to get a feel for the participants, to get uh, get to know them a little bit and make a selection based off of more than just their writing abilities. Now, each program class or cohort tends to have between 15 and 20 participants. 
we're not locked into any specific number. We really select over quality versus quantity. <clears throat> um, now, once they get into the program, each student is assigned two mentors that help guide them through the program and the, the curriculum. Now, this is a really important component to the program because where we give them two mentors, we give them one mentor that is an alum in the program, okay, so that that person can really help guide them through the classwork or how to navigate the program to the best of their abilities. And then we also assign them another mentor, which we refer to as a senior leader in the profession, somebody who's got more uh, of a global view, if you will, of a career progression and how to navigate a career plan. And that level of diversity from two different mentors, I think, has been a fantastic component of the program. Now, in terms of the curriculum, uh, there's various assignments that they go through through the program year. Monthly, we have a video chat about a developmental article or a video. Uh, and there are two papers through the program year that they have to complete where the participants pick an industry-related topic. Uh, we want them to focus on their technical skills in that component of it. But they pick an industry-related topic, they critique the topic, and then they offer a recommendation as if they were a leader pitching it to senior leaders in their organization to care about the topic and take action. Then, uh, maybe five years ago, Chuck, we added a group project, which I think has probably turned into one of the best parts of the program. This group project, we take the, the class, you know, the 20-member class, we break them down into teams, and they're told or given one main instruction, and that is, go back to your company, aim as high as you can in terms of an interview, and then ask that leader one question, and that is, what is something that keeps you up at night that I can help investigate for you? Then they go through the program year working on that particular project or topic. And at the end of the program year at NCMA's World Congress, that group will present to a panel of industry leaders as if it were their own CEOs or CFOs. And again, they're convincing those leaders why they should care about that topic and why they should act on the recommendations that the group is making. And so we create a safe environment full of real-world challenges that the participants face so that they can work on their leadership skills and how they solve real-world problems. And if they make mistakes, we use it as a learning opportunity. And we think that that, way, uh, that aspect of how the program has grown is really taking uh, the program to, a, to another level. So in terms of a high-level program overview. Um, that's that's it in a nutshell. Other than adding the component of we, we push a lot of emphasis on the exposure to industry professionals at various levels and really help the participants expand on their professional network. And that seems to be the part that everybody really enjoys the most. Uh, Landon, that was a, a great overview. And we're going to look at CMLDP and the adaptability of the components of CMLDP to individual companies, uh, regardless of size. So I want you to think, uh, begin thinking about um, if somebody has a small business, and let's define that for our purposes as less than 50 employees, and then um, larger businesses, um, you know, let's say 
well, for simple purposes, more than 50 employees. Um, and and I, I want you to be giving thought to which components of this might work in a smaller business and which components um, would work best uh, on a larger scale. First, a question about the emphasis on technical skills versus leadership skills. So when you look at CMLDP, it's a everyone's in the contracting management field. Um, how much emphasis or focus is placed on technical um, skills versus leadership skills? So that's a very good question, Chuck. And we we tend to use the in-person events uh, like those three major conferences that I referred to a minute ago, which we still do those. They're just in a virtual platform now because of travel restrictions. But we use those major conference in-person events to focus in on those leadership skills. We bring in some pretty fantastic guest speakers, yourself being one of them, where they 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 go over leadership overview, what it means to be a leader and how you handle certain situations as a leader, maybe in a capacity or at a level that they haven't risen to yet in their own careers. We do team building. We do uh, a DISC personality profile and how you can use that to your advantage in your career progression. So we do a lot of the leadership skills training in those in-person events. However, we want to also make sure that employers that invest in those participants and uh, give them the resources so that they can attend a program like that, of course, they're also very interested in their technical skill progression. And so one of the things that we've made sure to do in the program is whenever we have a, an assignment, a writing assignment or a group project, we make sure they focus on the technical aspect of their career. For example, right now in the curriculum, they have two research papers they have to do. One is uh, a four to six page research paper. And the other one is a, uh, a research-based executive summary. Again, teaching them how to learn how to write to a CFO or a CEO in a very short, concise manner. But those two papers have to be on a technical topic that they sat in on at one of those NCMA conferences. So whether it be about something related to their job, very specific to their job, or an area that they've just really been interested in that maybe they plan to take a career change into, it forces the participant to realize that this program is not just about leadership skills. It's also about honing in their technical skills. So I would say from a curriculum standpoint, we do about 50% on each, like half the program is on overall leadership skills and the other half is aimed at expanding on those technical skills. Okay. Excellent. So that, that again, I think that's helpful for, for uh, leaders in various companies who are listening and thinking about, hey, which components of this very effective leadership development program might transfer uh, to our company? And that that was helpful to hear. It's about 50-50 in terms of a technical focus versus a leadership focus. Let me um, check on the hours. You mentioned 160 uh, continuing education hours. And one of the aspects of CMLDP that I've been most impressed with is the rigor. Um, for a leadership development program, um, not a advanced degree program. So I serve as an executive coach in a, an executive MBA program, and and it would be very um, expected that there would be rigor associated with that. You're earning an advanced degree, and there is. Um, I've also felt there was a significant amount of rigor in the CMLDP program. Can you expand on, first of all, my perception um, 
would you say there is a significant amount of rigor? And, and I'm trying to get my head around 160 hours over that length of 10 months. Um, do you find the rigor um, both attracts uh, the people that you want in the program and might cause some people to, based on season of life or whatever, to step away from the program? Talk a little bit about the rigor of the program. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I would start off answering that to say that most people that we're looking for would agree the best things in life are earned and not given. So if this was an easy program, it probably wouldn't attract the people that we're looking to put through the program. We want people that are hungry, that have career goals higher than what they currently are in. We want people that are assertive and aggressive and competitive. And so advertising the 160 hours, I think, has helped us in a lot of ways because it does make sure that the people that apply for this program really are capable of putting in the work for expanding on their their uh, their career toolbox, if you will, whether it be leadership skills or technical skills. And so I do think it's an important part of the program. And, and really, 160 hours over 10 months there's peaks and valleys. Okay. At the beginning of the program year in October, we're trying to get everybody to start off on the right foot in terms of uh, connecting with one another, bonding with one another. So the month of October probably has quite a bit of uh, rigor and meetings. Whereas in later in the program year, maybe let's say in um, January through March, it's not quite as much because you're in between those NCMA conferences. And we tend to build a lot of the program effort around those conferences because of it's when we get everybody together. It's when the training can happen. It's when the technical skills presentations happen at the conferences, et cetera. And so it's not necessarily that it's a steady flow, 160 hours. Uh, we, we, we feel like we've done a pretty good job of, um, making it peak when it should, like, for example, the group project that I mentioned a minute ago, we don't even present that to the class until after the first conference. And so, again, if it starts in October, they don't get instructions on the group project until January, February. And so January, February, really the hardest part of the group project is defining the topic. And once they define the topic, they hit the ground running. And so the the uh, the groups, if you will, some of them meet two or three times a week. Some of them meet once a week, or they might change that based on when they can sign up uh, or line up interviews for people that they want to uh, learn from for that particular group project. And so it's it takes a special person to sign up for a project like that or a program like this, knowing that they're a full-time person. You know, they, they have a job. Most of them have families or a significant other. They might also be in other training programs like an MBA program or some kind of a professional certification that they're working with, balancing all of that on top of CMLDP. Yet from day one, we make it very clear to them that with all that's going on in your life, it is a privilege to be in this program. And we want to make sure that you understand that because there are expectations you have to meet. We don't expect you to be perfect, but we do expect you to put an effort that's caliber or listed as exceptional and excellent. And if you can't do that, maybe this program's not right for you. So yes, there's 160 hours of work you're going to put into this. 
but it's very possible for you to balance this because I think now, Chuck, we're over 300 people that have graduated from the program. And if you think this is hard, there are 300 other people who have successfully gone through the program and launched a step in their career that maybe they weren't capable of doing beforehand. So yes, it is rigor. Yes, it is hard, but all good things in life are earned and not given. Well, to elaborate on that uh, point, Landon, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think one of the, the aspects of this program and, and others is when uh, the bar is set high, uh, attainable, but high, I think it's attractive to people who want to stretch, grow, and to your point, uh, be a part of something like this, or in, even in individual companies. I think companies occasionally will will establish a leadership development program and uh, set the bar so low that even uh, when you finish the program, you, you don't really feel like that perhaps you've you've done very much or accomplished a whole lot, and that's certainly not the case with uh, CMLDP. So I believe you're a 2013 graduate of CMLDP, one of the over 300 uh, graduates at this time, and you've been um, intimately involved in the program as the coach. Um, what's changed from when you went through the program to now? And I asked that question in the context of, again, as people are listening and thinking, hey, what are some, some uh, adaptable components of this program to put in my company? And I'd just like for them to take advantage of the learnings that the program has had. What, what's changed over time? Well, Chuck, I'll, I'll say the the first thing that is noteworthy uh, in terms of the changes is me being the coach. So up until me taking the position of coach, it's always been senior leaders in the profession being the coach of the program. And I'm the first alum. And that's based off of the, the leadership of NCMA wanting to get to a point where they, they have alum that have gone through that have progressed in their career and they're ready to hand that torch back over to those people because again, they're developing leaders, right? And so that's a big step is that they're getting the people that have gone through the program more involved with establishing the program, managing the program and sustaining the program. Now in my class, 2013, we, we joke about how our class year was so good and so fantastic that NCMA had to take a pause and catch their breath. Um, but really, that's just a joke to say that, to answer your question, after I graduated, the program took a pause for a full year. And NCMA really stripped the curriculum, rebuilt it into a way that they thought it was more advantageous. Uh, because at that point, you know, the, the program had started in 2006, seven, eight, nine, 10 years later, they're looking back in the rearview mirror to see how it's going and where they want to take it forward. And so the program... I think from an NCMA perspective has been fantastic in that there we're always looking on how to keep it fresh, how to keep it relevant and stay in line with how the rest of the world in terms of professional development has changed. Now, if we look over just the past two or three years, we've made some significant changes in the program. First of all, we, we took a lot of the traditional textbook training out of the program. Now there's still a tremendous amount leadership Established leadership training is very worthy, and we've kept that in the program as a, a standard curriculum um, agenda items, if you will. However, we've added a lot of interactive sessions. Uh, we've, we've brought in a lot more industry leaders. 
where the class isn't just being talked at, they're being talked with and engaged. And I think that's been one of the biggest changes in the program year over the past few years. If we have a speaker like Chuck Carringer coming to the class scheduled for an hour, the speaker might only go for 30 to 45 minutes with the rest of the time being class-led discussion. And why is that? Well, we feel strongly that if we're developing leaders, we need to create a safe environment where those developing leaders get a chance to practice speaking out on those touchy topics, on those sensitive topics, and also learning from their core cohort or their classmates. <clears throat> you know, we, we can hear Chuck talk for a solid hour, but when Chuck gives us a question that really stretches us and makes us dive in on the conversation, that's where the true learning happens. And so I would say over the past few years, that's been the biggest change is simply making it more interactive and engaging with every session that we have. Okay, now taking that a little bit further, we've also built in uh, several roundtable discussions. We call them senior leader roundtable discussions, where, again, at the major conferences, whether they're in person or virtual, we'll invite some of uh, the leaders in our industry to come and to uh, sit at, quote unquote, virtual tables. And then we'll break the class up to sit in those, uh, those tables or breakout rooms. And then we rotate them around every 20 or 30 minutes. Not only does this give the participants an opportunity to hear from different leaders, it also gets them an opportunity to be exposed to those people where they might not have ever been exposed to someone at that level uh, in, in previous or prior settings. And so at the end of the year, we always do uh, what we call a, a, a retrospect survey uh, session, if you will, where the class gets to tell us their favorite parts of this uh, program year and then what they would change. The senior roundtable sessions are always rated highest or, or or near the top. And so that's been a fantastic addition over the past couple of years. Uh, and then also the, the group project that we mentioned. That's only been going on for maybe the past four or five years. And it wasn't in the program when I went through. And looking back at it, I feel like I missed out tremendously because of how valuable those group projects are, not just from a uh, solving a real world issue and learning how to work as a group, but just getting to bond with the people in the cohort a little bit further because I'm meeting with them more regularly. I get to see why they think the way that they think. And it's expanded the, the diverse approach on how I might attack a, a project. And so some significant changes. Um, also, something that's happened within the past two or three years, and I learned this from, uh, from you, Chuck, uh, is that the participants are now required to give short presentations on the two writing assignments that they have in the program year. So after they complete their writing assignment and they get feedback, the next time we all come together as a class, they have three to five minutes to do a presentation on what that topic is. As if I am the CFO, again, they have to sell the topic to me, make me care, and then also convince me to act on their recommendation. And so those are some of the uh, the, the great additions, I guess, from the program over the past few years. Fantastic. I, I want to transition now and, and think about um, individual companies and how they might utilize the components of CMLDP. Which components, Landon, do you think of the CMLD program, if any, uh, would uh, be most advantageously used by individual companies in developing future leaders? So, Chuck, I'll tell you that there's a lot, actually. And 
I'll, I'll give you a real example before I answer your question. So as you mentioned at the beginning of our call, I currently work at ORNL or Oak Ridge National Laboratory, which is one of seven Department of Energy labs now managed by Battelle Memorial. So Battelle is a company. Uh, they're a large company. But what they have done is they have created their own developmental programs, fairly similar to CMLDP, and deployed it amongst these seven national labs that they manage. And so I've been given a great opportunity to also work with those programs as well over the past few years. And so I've taken a lot of what was happening in those programs and pulled it into CMLDP and vice versa. And there's lots of opportunities for synergies. You got CMLDP that is not for any one organization. It's a national association. But then you have Battelle that is a corporation putting these types of practices into real life and, and grooming their own people for future potential leadership opportunities. Okay. So all that I'm about to mention is very real, um, very realistic in terms of being able to deploy it in a, a company or an organization. To answer your question specifically, the first thing that I would mention is assigning a mentor to a mentee. If you have these high caliber, high potential employees in your organization, one of the easiest ways to groom them is to assign a mentor. Now, not just giving them a mentor and sending them down that path on what you might think would be a perfect relationship, because it's not. You have to give them structure in that relationship, like telling them how long a duration might be, whether it's going to be a year or two years, et cetera. Uh, Defining how frequently that they might meet and for how long, you know, once a week for an hour. And then also how to come up with topics, because one of the one of the best and well, I'll say one of the strengths and weaknesses of setting up a mentor to mentee relationship is the mentee that goes into it, owning the situation and the conversation always comes with some type of an agenda. They don't just go into the conversation winging it. And when you have a mentee that goes into that relationship and wings it, the conversations are not quite as fruitful. And therefore, now you might have the mentor pushing what they think the mentee needs to learn, which is not always the right approach. If it's not the mentee's desire to learn that way, they're not going to take as much out of the conversation. So again, it's easy to align people up with a mentor-mentee relationship. All right, so that's number one. Number two, I would say... Having more than just one participant in any type of an established program that you set up, it's such a big situation to be in, to be going through that same developmental journey with someone else that you can share your experiences with. So whether you're a small company or a medium or a large company, if you are looking to develop a program similar to this, I would strongly encourage you to not have just one person selected to go through that, uh, that journey, if you will. That way, as they have assignments, they have somebody that they can turn to. Okay, uh, Granted, you're probably going to give them a mentor that's going to give them advice on uh, higher level thinking, but also somebody down here in the weeds that's going through the same uh, balancing that they're going through in terms of balancing their real job, their full-time job, but also the rigors and the requirements of the program. Number three, I would say it's very easy to create a project for them to work on, whether it be a group project or an individual project, and give them real issues to solve. 
not fake or uh, I'll say I'll use the word soft, soft topics that they can't buy into and, and possibly see the fruits of their work. What we've done in another uh, the Patel program is create mini projects. So every month they have three mini projects like investigating different areas of the company and then coming back at the end of that month and doing a short five minute presentation on those three topics. Uh, for example, again, I work at uh, a research laboratory. So one of those mini projects might be go out and find out how many um, R&D 100 awards our company has won in the past five years, and then interview one of those award recipients, and then give me a presentation on how it went. Or find out how my company gives back to the community. How are we giving back to the community or what type of opportunities does the company present? Go find out and come back and let me know. Number four, I'm going to say the easiest way to make a program like this impactful in any organization is simply put exposure. Exposing those individuals who want to grow and who you want to groom to new experiences and people that they wouldn't have the chance at that point in their career to be exposed to. For example, the mentor-mentee relationship, you're going to give them hopefully a mentor that's not in their direct line of supervision. That way they have more open and honest conversations and not feel like they can't have those open and honest conversations. But, but that gives them the opportunity to be exposed to that other individual that they might not otherwise be exposed to. Or uh, like in the Battelle program, every year the participants have a lunch and learn with the CFO and then another one with the CEO of each of the, uh, the Department of Energy Labs. It's a one-hour session where lunch is provided and they get to ask any questions that they want to the CEO and CFO. Now, not only is that the probably only time they're going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody at that level, but they're also hearing from a perspective at the very top of that organization. And now when those participants walk down the hallway and they see that CFO, they're on a first name basis and how fantastic that is, right? That's something that is very attainable, no matter the size of the company that you're in to be able to set up and establish. Very good, Landon. Thank you for that. Um, I, 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 this next uh, question or two questions may be really difficult to answer, but if you had to hone in on the top or top two components of the program that you think the participants would say were the most beneficial, perhaps the ones they enjoyed the most, but I'm uh, the most beneficial to their advancing as leaders in their profession. And which component or two would you say that they might say are the most challenging? So most beneficial and most challenging. So I, I can answer that with the same responses, right? So I'm going to say I've got two to uh, uh, two ways to answer this. Number one, the most beneficial is expanding their network. It goes back to that word exposure that I used a minute ago. When you have somebody in a program, a developmental program, and you you force them to go and meet people that they haven't met before or that they never would. The way I refer to it uh, uh, in my group, we, we call it making you get out from behind the desk. 
Okay. You're building that network for potential future uh, benchmarking, collaborating, and also maybe future project efforts where you're you're getting to know people on a first name basis and an opportunity to see how they work and see how they attack particular situations. I think if you asked anybody that's ever gone through the program or CMLDP anyways, what's the best or most advantageous component? It's the networking. And that's not just friends. We're talking about first name basis with people at levels you would have never been exposed to had that type of an opportunity not existed. Okay. So number two, I'm going to say it's how we force people out of their comfort zones. So forcing people out of their comfort zones. I'm going to, I'm going to point to the group project that I mentioned a minute ago, and then also the, the research papers, because both of those require the participant to do interviews and a presentation at the end. And so in contract management, a lot of people would categorize themselves as introverts. Um, you know, they, they, they pull their energy in a different way from those that would be considered extroverts and, and, Seeing how in the program, how some people are just more naturally gifted at working a room or working a social situation or a public speaking situation versus those that are not. It's pretty impactful to see when those that just don't have the confidence or they're not used to getting out and speaking in front of people, you're pushing them out there, you're forcing them to do so. And then you see how they develop significantly from the first time they do it to the last time they do it in the program year, I think that's been the best thing from my seat in terms of watching how other people have uh, have grown to the program year. Now, with the group project, again, the very first thing they have to do in the group project is go in their company, find a CEO or a CFO or some VP and ask them, what's a topic that keeps you up at night that I can work on for you? Not only is that exposing them to that individual, but that's also Showing that leader that, hey, you know what, I, I better keep my eye on this person because if they're interested in attacking real world problems that I have to face on a day to day basis, this person's special. You know, th this person has that it factor, that aggression or assertiveness that I might look for in a leader in the very near future. And so pushing the participants to get out from behind their desk, pushing them out of their comfort zone. I think has been one of the most beneficial aspects of the program. So hope that answered the question, Chuck. It did. Landon, just to tag on to the uh, group project component, I'm currently working with a, uh, a group of um, individuals in a well-known company who are in a leadership development program for that company. And they're using the group project component uh, just as you described. It's a real-world problem that the company has determined, hey, we, we would like um, to advance uh, our insight and knowledge and, and potentially um, uh, gain a recommendation from this group. And so this group has been, as a component of their pro program, they've been working on a real world prob problem that is of meaning to their company. And it's been hard, but um, it's also been very, uh, I think, beneficial to the group. Also in the CMLDP program, I love the networking that happens intentionally and also organically through the cohort being together for that period of time. Um, you know, my observation 
is that uh, many of these connections are long lasting and are professionally beneficial and and personally rewarding uh, as well. And I love the teamwork aspect of uh, putting people together that they don't know and and having to work together to solve a um, an assignment or problem because that's real world. Also, uh, there are times we're put on work teams in our places of work and, and, um, we don't know the people well, but we have to work together and, and, uh, finding ways to, to work effectively together. Um, I want to just ask about graduation as we get to a close in our time. Um, my impression is that graduation is a fairly big deal in when it comes to the CMLDP program. Can you talk just a little bit about, um, maybe the recognition, uh, that happens at graduation or the, the experience, ceremony, et cetera, uh, for the participants? Sure. So uh, CMLDP graduation always happens at NCMA's last conference of the year, which is their biggest one, and that they call that World Congress. There's anywhere between uh, 1,000 and above participants in those conferences. I think the last time we had a World Congress before COVID, so that would have been 2019, no, 2019, yeah. Uh, there were 2,200, just over 2,000 people that attended World Congress. And we have the graduation ceremony in front of that audience, and it's fantastic. So leading up to the very end of the program year, before we graduate, we do send a an email out to the entire cohort, and we say, hey, guys, who would you pick as your distinguished graduate? Of, of all 20 in the class, who would you put at the front of your class to be the leader amongst leaders? And so the class votes on that individual, and we recognize that person at the end of the program year. We also recognize one or two other individuals as an honor graduate. And this is an individual who did fantastic in their classwork or the class participation. Uh, usually somebody who maybe got one of their research papers published in the uh, contract management magazine. Okay. and. We, we go through the full ceremony or the graduation procession, and we, we recognize all participants, but then we also give that special recognition to those others. Now, after that, it's not that CMLDP just ends, okay? Uh, yes, you've completed the program, you've gotten your certification or your certificate, uh, but what's next? We have a CMLDP alumni community which again, going back to where I currently work with Oak Ridge uh, underneath the Battelle umbrella, they too have created this alumni community. And I think that's important. If you're going to establish a program like this, making sure they feel that once it's over with, it's not just over. I think that really helps build the program and the momentum that carries on. Because if somebody went through the program five years ago, if they really saw the value in that program, they're still looking for how to stay connected, right? And so we give the participants that graduate that opportunity because of this alumni community, they do events on their own. They have social events or they have a book club or they, they're asked by leaders to tackle other problems. They're routinely looked at to help solve some of NCMA's issues because there is this, this alumni cadre, if you will, of people ready and willing to give back because of how impactful it was on their life. And also the, the mentors that we assign to them. Yes, it's a defined period. 
10 months of having that mentor relationship. But most would say out of the two mentors that they were assigned, at least one of those mentors continues to be somebody that they turn to on a regular basis because of those, as you said a minute ago, organic relationships that was fostered through a structured program, but both people in that relationship have seen the value of staying connected. Uh, so, you know, you, you said that I went through the program in 2013. My mentor at that time, uh, Gary Pileski, um, we check in at least twice a year and he's retired, but those conversations always start out with him telling me about what all he's been doing in terms of travel. And that's fantastic. I love hearing those stories. And then he always turns it back to me. He wants to know what I'm doing in my career and how my family's doing. And we have fantastic conversations. And so the, the, the graduation ceremony is really what you were asking about, but I wanted to make sure that I addressed that life after graduation is not the end of the program. And for setting this up in a, another scenario or in a, co- a, a company, that alumni feel is important to keep it going so that people realize they're still a part of it and they can continue giving back to what made their journey so impactful. Well said. It's a couple of takeaways for me uh, regarding uh, the, the conclusion of the program. If an individual company is setting up a leadership development program, recognize the, the uh, uh, participants who successfully completed the program, build momentum around your leadership development program in whatever scale is appropriate for your company, but recognize the participants and their effort. And then as you build it over time, there will be an alumni community that begins to to uh, take place, and there's some some real synergy in that alumni community. Awesome. Landon, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to mention that perhaps I didn't ask about as we close out? One of the questions you asked a little while ago that I didn't touch on was about like challenges that we faced, and, and I totally blew by that and forgot. And I wanted to just very quickly circle back to that and just say that, you know, last year presented the whole world with a pretty significant challenge in COVID, right? COVID-19 and how we all had to respond to that. In a program like this, the travel component of it or the in-person camaraderie component of it, it's the biggest part of it. It's, it's the relationships, the networking, the exposure. And that was taken away because of this global pandemic that we were all facing. So that was a significant challenge. However, what I've found is when you when you establish a program like this, addressing those challenges, meeting those challenges, that's become the more entertaining part of leading a program like this. Okay, not because I'm out looking for busy work, but because it forces us to stay fresh and to adapt and make sure that we're not being stagnant or growing stale in how we rise to the occasion to extend or keep growing a program like this. You know, we, we've always used Zoom or um, other video conferencing tools, but now it's 90% of our interaction, right? Uh, and so how do you keep that fresh? We've all heard the Zoom fatigue mentality, if you will, where people go to five uh, video calls in one particular day, and then by the time yours rolls around, they're over it. They're not participating. So how do you keep it fresh? You know, asking questions, keeping them engaged, making sure there's dialogue and not just monologue in the conversations. And so those types of challenges has kept me on my toes and uh, the rest of the uh, the committee that runs this program. But it's also made it the most entertaining aspect of it because it keeps us fresh. It keeps us on our toes. And so I wanted to make sure I touched on that. So Chuck, this is, this is fantastic. And if there are companies on the, out there that are on the fence about rolling out some type of a developmental program 
in their own organization. Um, I would tell you that it's not as steep of a mountain to climb as you might think. It's very attainable. You just have to think about it and structure it and then start building a class. And you'll see, like Chuck said a minute ago, on how the alumni community kind of builds itself and how that in itself helps retain people in your company. So kudos to you if you're thinking about doing something like that and good luck. Fantastic, uh, Landon. You know, I was in listening to your last answer. I, I just was reminded that intentionality is um, required both individually. When we want to grow in our leadership capacity, we have to intentionally put effort and thoughtfulness into that process and the same at the company level. And I, I really appreciate that word of encouragement uh, to individual companies, regardless of their size, who might be listening and thinking, okay, how do I grow our future leaders um, in the most effective way? And you've given You've given everyone some some great ideas today. Landon, thank you so much for being on Leadership Upside. Chuck, thanks for having me. This is fantastic. And uh, good luck with your, uh, your podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Upside, where we discuss what successful business leaders in diverse organizations are doing, saying, and thinking. Today, our guest has been Landon Hill. If you'd like to connect with Landon, you can email him at hilldl at ornl.gov. Landon, thanks again for sharing your experiences and insights. Until next time on Leadership Upside, I'm Chuck Carringer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Head over to chuckcarringer.com for more information.